Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So I uh, had an embarrassing moment yesterday, and I feel like, you know, we're amongst friends and you would keep this between us, but uh, we're in the middle of, uh, if you have kids, you know this moment where you're about to walk out the door, but you have like two or three other things you want to do really quick before you do, but you have to get out the door soon. You're in a hurry. And so I'm in a hurry and uh, I go to get a Coke Zero out of the fridge and I get my last Coke Zero out of the fridge. This is my last cold one. And so if you know like what this feels like, you don't want to come home and not have any cold Coke Zeros. And so I, I say, hold on, you guys go ahead and go. Uh, and they're, they're kind of milling around the house and I grab the whole case of Coke Zero, and I'm doing something, and I go to load the Coke Zero into the fridge, and then somebody says something, and I turn, and the box tears in a weird way. Anyway, long story short, one Coke Zero falls and hits, and then two, and then three, and about the third one, it hit in a weird way. It was like a grenade went off in my house. It started doing that spin thing like your firecrackers do at Fourth of July, and it's spraying Coke Zero all over the house. It's hitting the ceiling, no joke. It's on the cabinets. It's moving from the kitchen to the dining room. Like It's just going around the house spraying Coke Zero everywhere, and, and I go into a panic. I, I don't know if I thought I was in a war zone or what, because there's more than one that hit the ground, and so as it's spraying, I'm like, ah, I run, and I do like this Dukes of Hazard thing over the dining room table, and I kneel down, and my wife is like, it's, it's not going to kill you. It's okay, and I was like, I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know how bad this was going to get. I didn't know, and so uh, it, it, it stops spraying, and we start cleaning, and we're, we're looking around, <clears throat> and as, as we're cleaning, I look down, and I have this gash on my leg from like here to here, because when you Dukes of Hazard across the table, uh, even though it's a rounded corner, it can still do some damage on your leg. Uh, and, I, and I looked at it and I thought, that's so weird. I don't even remember, I don't remember that happening. Uh, this is going to hurt later. Right now it doesn't hurt because I'm still surviving the, the coke apocalypse of, you know, 2021. Uh, but, but I knew, like I looked at it and I could tell in that moment, this is going to hurt later a lot more than it does now. And do you know what? I was right. I'm no prophet or anything, but I was right. That sucker swole up, had like a knot. It's still gashed open. And if you hit me, it's, if you've been in middle school, you remember like a kid dead-legging you? That's what it feels like because I dove across the table. The, the funny thing uh, about that is, is that you share in my pain. The serious thing is that sometimes when we face a problem, uh, we have the immediate response, the immediate thing, but then the pain of it comes so much, so much later. Uh, I played football for a while, and having played football, I, I broke a few bones, I dislocated a thumb, and you never feel those moments in, in like, I can, I can have a, a broken arm. I'm like, yeah, put me back in, coach, I can do it. I, I got hit one time, and it just kind of rung my bell, uh, and I'm, I'm laying on the ground an extra two seconds, and someone's like, hey, Lofton, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I get up, and I kind of did like the stumbly walk to the side. I'm like, yeah, put, put me back in. He's like, no, no, we're going we're gonna to check you out. I, I said I was fine. Uh, the coach did that little light bulb thing to my mind, like, hey, I think you have a concussion. Uh, you're not, you're not fine. You, you can't go back in. I'm like, yeah, I can, coach. Put, put me back in. Uh, if you've ever been, like, uh, th- think of like a movie, or maybe you've been in a situation where like your house was on fire, and you just, you ran out, you grabbed everything you could, and then someone says, hey, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. They're like, no, 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 you have a gash on the side of your head. You, you were, the word for that is trauma. The word, you've, you've been traumatized. And the pain of it, 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 come, it comes later. Um, we, we are in the middle of this series called A Tired and Weary World Can Rejoice. And what we're looking at is, like, it is possible to find joy in a world that has otherwise traumatized us. Now, I'm talking to a bunch of Texans, and so if I can just, if I can just be so bold as to proclaim this, nobody in here 
has made it in here without experiencing recent trauma. We've all experienced a recent trauma. As an entire community, as an entire world, COVID by itself, if you've ever received a phone call like, hey, everything was normal yesterday, but we don't know if you have a job tomorrow, uh, that's traumatic. And you have, to, you have to deal with it. You have to handle it in the moment, but then you have to handle the re- uh, repercussions of it later. If you ever woke up in the middle of the night and your house was shaking because there's a mushroom cloud of chemicals firing off in your community and your windows and your doors have been blown in and you think, well, that was weird. In the moment, uh, I know, like me, I know it's like you just do what you can to protect your people, but it's later. You're like, golly, how do I, how do I deal with, with that? How do, how do our kids deal with that? Of course, we have hurricanes. We have just so many things. And here's, here's what I've come to find out is that this world is broken, yes, uh, when we talk about sin, when we talk about the curse, when we talk about w- w- all of that, zero people in this room or in this world is immune from that. Uh, and so how is it that the Bible promises joy and hope? How is it that at Christmas time we, we try to muster up all of the fake feelings that we can to fake it until we make it? Is it possible to have real happiness, real joy, real peace in an otherwise not so awesome world? And the answer will be yes. The answer is, is that, that every generation of Christian has found hope in the name of Jesus, real hope, not manufactured hope, and that's the reason why we celebrate. And if, if, if we could just be honest with ourselves for a second, we can look in the mirror, so to speak, metaphorically, and say, I do have a big gash right here. This probably, I need to probably address that and be honest about it. Uh, you will find the path towards hope there. So, so last week, uh, we looked at one of the earliest Christmas prophecies. Uh, it's in Isaiah, it's in chapter 8, and it's like dark and dark. The word dread comes up multiple times in it, and you're like, that doesn't sound like Christmas. But, but we unpack that, and we find out that in, in the news of how bad things were going to get, Isaiah says, but I promise you the hope is coming. I promise you the Christ is coming. No matter how dark and painful this were, no matter how bad the gash is on your leg spiritually, the, the hope, the Savior is still there. There's still reason for hope. And so we had some lessons that we pulled out of that. If we can turn to that, Barbara, uh, that we looked at last time. And it's just four things that, that we learned in Isaiah uh, that, that I think we're going to relearn again today that is going to help us. The, the first is, is just that word, rejoice. I want to remind you, it's a, it's a compound word, and it means like remember, the re is like re or again. Uh, my wife is a teacher, and she's like, hey, Jesse, when we do prefixes and suffixes and we talk about re, we tell the kids it means again. I was like, oh, that's genius. I wish I, I, wish I knew that uh, last week, so I know it this week. Uh, and so again, and the joyce in joyce, rejoice, is the, uh, another derivative of the word joy. And so the idea of rejoicing isn't that this moment causes you joy, you rejoice because that moment back then causes you to joy again. You're remembering last time the thing that you learned there and it's continuing and it's continuing the joy now. This is where we get so much of our nostalgia around Christmas time. How many of you have pulled out of your attic some decoration that belonged to your grandparents or your great-grandparents? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you have like this special tree topper that you remember the, the time you bought it? It was, it was when you and your wife, uh, you know, before you had kids and now you've had, you had, you know, 12 kids. I don't know how many kids you have. And, and this, this tree topper has been 
been in your family all this time, and every time you bring it out, you remember the stories that it contains. How many of you have dipped into a, a recipe book recently and made some delicious cookies for some party, and you're like, this is Nana's cookie recipe. Nobody made cookies like Nana. You know Nana got that from Betty Crocker? Like, just, <laughs> just letting you know, just off the, off the top. But, but you don't think of Betty Crocker when you cook those cookies. You think of, you think of that. Because, because this time of year, more than any other time of year, we know the power of symbols to make us have joy again. We can enjoy today someone we lost many, many years ago. We can, we can enjoy today the story of that one Christmas where the, the Coke can exploded in your house, right? The, the one time, have you ever seen that, that America's Funniest Home video where the little girl like does the little princess thing? She opened it for the first time and it flies up and it flies over her head and lands in the fireplace and melts. You just see like Barbie's like face just melting off like uh, uh, Indiana Jones or something. I, I think that that was absolutely traumatic for her, but she's going to remember that every year because I think her family won like $100,000 off that video so uh, she can afford the therapy. Uh, we, can, we, can, we can remember joy in the future of things that have happened in the past. So the word for that in English is rejoice. And it is possible to rejoice today for something that happened in the past. So specifically, it's possible to have joy today for something that happened 2,000 years ago. Because 2,000 years ago, God, who had made a 1,000 promises about what he was going to do, he's still batting a 1,000 on fulfilling his promises. He did fulfill that. The Lord did come. The Savior did come. And we can have hope in him because of something that happened 2,000 years ago. Today can sustain us. Today can be uh, an anchor, can be, can be a hope. The second thing we looked at is uh, we need to remember what the Lord has done. What Isaiah was saying is like, hey, remember what the Lord did here. Uh, use that, store that up. And, th- and then he uses the phrase, bind it up as a testimony. And something we don't do a lot of, and we would be wise to begin doing, is to collect the stories of what the Lord has done in our lives and in the lives of friends and loved ones. You'll, you'll find strength and an and, and, and ability to take another step forward because you know your friend who went through a similar thing can say, I, I built this history of following the Lord and I've seen him sustain it. Let me tell you about this testimony. And so what Isaiah was doing is like he's making a promise of the coming Lord and he says, bind up that testimony. Don't listen to the chirpers. Don't listen to the, to the, uh, the conspiracies. Don't listen to the fear because they're going to tell you something different, but bind up that testimony. If anybody says something other than what you know the Lord has done, you go to the testimony. He says, run to the testimony. Go to that and declare that. And then the last thing uh, that we looked at is choose your focus and your source, your source of knowledge, your source of hope. We looked at that Psalm, Psalm 13. We're going to look at another Psalm in a moment. We'll be in Psalm 22 if you want to go ahead and turn there. But the, the psalmist last week, he, he, he could have focused on his pain or he could have focused on his hope, but he couldn't focus on both. He could have focused on what people were saying and the things he should be afraid of, or he could focus on the, the one who's going to bring him victory, but he couldn't focus on both. And he made the choice. He used the past tense. I remembered what the Lord did. I remembered his steadfast love is what David said last week. Therefore, my heart will worship. My heart will rejoice. So he can force his heart to rejoice because he remembered, he rejoiced in what the Lord did before. And so what I want to look at is just one Psalm. Uh, The same guy wrote it. His name's David. And it's a path of someone being extremely honest. You know, when, when I get hurt, um, I tend to be first, I'm fine. That's my first, I'm fine. Even if I'm not, I'm fine. Uh, but, but what, what if, what if you were just like in the, you don't have to be public about it. Uh, but what if in the privacy and the, 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 the solitude, the quietness of between you and the Lord, you just looked at him and say, I'm not fine. 
Is that, is that an effective prayer? Is that, is that okay for a Christian? Or, you know, some people would say, no, that, that means you don't have enough faith. I'm here to tell you, David is described as a man after God's own heart, and yet he was extremely real and raw with his creator. Nobody went up to David and said, hey, son, you don't have enough faith. Nobody would tell the king, that. this is the psalmist David, my gosh. Like, you know, like nobody loves the Lord better than David in his time. And he, he, can, he can be so real and raw with the Lord and I think what we're going to see at the end of the psalm, as you would expect, is that he finds hope, he finds solace. But I think, I think part of the path for finding it was that he was extremely real and he's extremely raw. Even on the things that he was wrong about, he was just like, I'm just going to tell you what I feel right now, Lord. This is what I, I think. And so let's look at Psalm 22 uh, and see what we can learn together from David. It starts, uh, and David wrote this first part. It's like little notes. You see where it says to the choir master? These are little notes that David wrote. So it is, is it, it is in scripture. It's not like a chapter heading that we added later. David wrote that, and it's to the choir master. So he intends this to be a song about his pain. Uh, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. Nobody really knows what the doe of the dawn is. Uh, a lot of people like to think of the metaphor of, you know, hunting. Uh, anybody, any hunters in here? And No? Okay, anybody watch Bambi recently? It's the same thing. You have a doe, a deer, a female deer, and 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 it's just in thank you. And 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 it's 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 just sitting like in a in a group of trees, right? Uh, and all around this doe for for all she knows are a thousand hunters hidden in the woods. Now, the doe knows that there's pain and there's fear, there's things out there that are really dangerous, and the doe is just kind of looking around, kind of on edge a little bit. Have you ever felt vulnerable? Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt exposed in a, in a space that your danger could come from any direction? That's kind of what they think David is wanting to say when he talks about the doe of the dawn. The sun is just broke. The doe is like, I'm now being seen by an unknown number of people. And what David will do, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and explain it so that you see it as it happens in real time. What David will do is he writes the psalm, this prayer, is that he goes back and forth. He's going to go, he's going to start with, this is what I feel right now, Lord. And then he's going to go, but this is what I remember about you. But this is what I feel right now, Lord. But this is what I know you've done. This is what I feel right now. And I don't know if I have another step I can take, but I heard you can do this. And he goes, he does this ebb and flow back and forth. And so let's, let's see how, how he does that. Uh, verse one says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The beginning of his prayer is, is almost like, God, why aren't you listening to my prayers? Why don't you hear me right now? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever heard someone say that phrase before? Mm, it may sound familiar uh, because Jesus quoted that. And so, so here's, here's what we uh, know uh, about Jesus's quote of that. Uh, Jesus has, has gone to the cross. Before he goes to the cross, he prays uh, these prayers where there's angst and there's anxiousness about him going to die. Our, our Savior thought about the consequences of what he's about to go through, and he felt a lot of hurt and a lot of mixed feelings about it. But he said in that prayer in the garden, he says, nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. Father, whatever you want, I'll do. And if it requires me to go to the cross for, for these people, uh, I'll do that. And as he's on the cross, one of the last things he says as he quotes the very first line of the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine, imagine that, that the Son of God 
hanging on the cross, felt the anxiety and the fear and the frustration so deeply that he asked, like, why, why have you forsaken me? A lot of people think that Jesus quoted that uh, as like shorthand because he's quoting the whole verse, uh, excuse me, the whole, the whole psalm. So, so he only says the one line, but, but everybody who heard that, everybody who knows Psalm 22 at this moment would think through the entire psalm, and oh my gosh, like if we unpack this and think that this went through Jesus' mind on the cross, it's big. But why are you so far from saving me, God? You, you don't listen to the words of my groaning, this is what David says. I cry to you by day, but you, you don't answer by night. I find no rest. This guy, whatever David is going through in this moment, and he, he had moments where people are trying to hunt him and kill him. He's hiding in the woods. He's doing all kinds of things. He had one moment where a stepdad like threw a spear and tried to kill him. Uh, that's terrifying. Anybody been there? No? Okay. Well, that's good. So you've had it better than David. And, and, and somewhere in all of his anxiety, he, he has this moment where he feels like God's not listening to him. The man who's described as a man after God's own heart has a feeling when he's being real, I don't, I don't think you're listening to me anymore, God. Yet, he says in verse 3, says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Let me tell you the first thing that David did. He, 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 has, he has this juxtaposition of, this is what I feel. I feel like you don't hear me, but I remember what you did to these people. I remember what you did to our fathers, that when they cried to you, you came and you delivered. I remember stories of you rescuing them over here. David, in the first, where we're at, four or five verses, he hasn't gotten to the point where he's internalized that God will rescue him, but he is to the point where he's honest. This is what I feel, and this is what I know you've done. God, I know that you're holy. I know, I know that you rescued my, my, my forefathers. Who, who, who in here knows of another human being, maybe also in this room, who it looked like there was no reason for hope, and yet they have this amazing story of God delivering and providing and making a way through the addiction, making a way to where the marriage is restored, making a way to where there's a relationship rebuilt with the kids. Do we know people with those stories? Because what David did is that he used the stories of other people to begin to build his bridge of hope to begin to rejoice again. He, he didn't have it in himself to remember what the Lord has done to him, but he begins by looking over here. This is, church, this is why it's so terribly important that we're extremely real with each other. And there, there's an there's a argument to be made for oversharing, but, but I benefit whenever I hear your victory over whatever. You benefit whenever you hear what the Lord has done in my life. We have to be about not only collecting the stories of what the Lord has done and building those altars in our life, we have to be about sharing those stories of what the Lord has done. You, you won't believe this. You won't believe what the Lord did when I began to, I don't know, uh, uh, I have a story, oh golly, this sounds so manipulative. I have a story where uh, things were real chaotic and uh, Ashley and I prayed and we're like, you know, we're not tithing and it just felt like we should tithe. And we tithe and immediately like all the chaos. I could share that story about the Lord coming through on, on something. Uh, I could share a story about my, my grandmother right before she, she dies. She, she looks at me and the nurse and she says, I know where I'm going. I, don't worry about me. That, that is such a powerful anchor of hope. Even whenever I couldn't find it in myself, I can look to these stories of other people, and you can too, of what the Lord has done. And he says, God, I know that you're holy. I know what you did to my fathers. I know they trusted you. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But, and here we have this but where he goes back to, let me tell you what I'm really feeling right now, though, God. 
Because like you already know my heart anyway. It doesn't do me any good to pretend otherwise. Let me tell you, I'm a worm. He says, I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> they, they make mouths at me. Ah. They, they wag their heads. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. These people are taunting me. Here's David. I remember what you did before, but here's what I'm hearing a lot of. I'm hearing a lot of noise of other people. And I feel, I feel like I'm not a man. I feel like I can't provide. I feel like a worm. I feel like it's, it's all coming down on me. Yet, verse 9, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He's going that back and forth thing, and he gets to the space where now he's no longer talking about what he re- he's heard God do for other people, but you've been my God since my birth. He started remembering what the Lord has done. I, I exist because you formed me, God. This is the same man who wrote, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's saying, I... I came from my mother's womb. You sustained me when I couldn't sustain myself by, by, by giving me my mother's breast. I, am, I, I know that you've done these great things for, for me. And so now he gets to the prayer. Please, God, verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Here, here's the realism of David. The realism of David is, God, I don't even think, I don't feel like I, you, you hear me. I don't feel like you're close, but what I know his trouble's close. And he's worked through his prayer so far. And he's like, God, will you get close to me? Because I know for 100% sure that this trouble, this danger, this pain, this trauma, this whatever is really close to me. Will, will, you, will you come closer? Be, be not far from me because trouble's not far from me. Trouble's close. And there's none here to help. He looks at a situation. He's like, I don't even see a way out. Verse 12 Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan, maybe, Bashan, surround me. I had to Google that. I, I didn't know what the bulls of Bashan were. Uh, it turns out there's an extremely fertile field uh, called like the Bashan Valley. Uh, it's around Samaria. So it's between Jerusalem and Galilee. So between the two places that Jesus hung out is this huge field that is well known for just like vegetation and amazing pasture land. And everybody takes their cattle and their sheep there. And every animal who grazes there is extremely strong and well-fed. You would look at a cow and like the ribs are showing. It's like, that's not a cow from Bashan. You see like this he- healthy heifer and just kind of like walking around, can barely walk. He's strong and you know what? That's a bull of Bashan. He's like, man, it's like, the, it's like the strong ones are surrounding me. He says, they open wide their mouths at me like a, like a ravening and a roaring lion. He, he looks at his problems and he's focusing on his problems. It's like, they're the strongest they've ever been and they surround me. They're opening their mouths at me. Ah, cows are just mooing at me. You know, and it's, it's terrifying. It's, it, they're going to overcome me, Lord. Verse 14, I've I felt like this. Maybe you have too. He's just being honest with the Lord. He says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. You know, um, I know a lot of counselors that they'll talk about like your life, you're, you're, you're like a pitcher and you're, you're filled with water 
And, and so often we, we, we have people that are filling up our pitcher and then we need to go serve someone else and we, we pour out to pour into their lives. We invest in other people's lives. And then you reach a moment where what? What happens? You know where the metaphor goes? Your pitcher's empty. You've been poured out like water. There's nothing left for you to give to this other person. David, he's talking to the Lord. He's like, I've got nothing left in me to pour out. I'm, I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. Have you, ever, have you ever had a dislocated bone you had to pop back in? It's cringy, isn't it? I, had a, I told you I dislocated my thumb uh, playing football. Here's how it happened. Uh, I went this way, uh, and my feet went that way uh, because the grass was wet, and I fell, and, and all of my weight fell on this thumb, uh, so I like, landed like that. And when I looked up, the thumb was just sort of like, just kind of, you know, like a noodle, just kind of hanging off. And I tell the coach, I was like, I think I broke it. I think I broke my thumb. And coach was like, no, it's just dislocated. You're fine. Pop. And it just sounded like a gun went off. And immediate relief happened. Like it hurt right then because it was out of joint. And immediately when you're put back in joint, there's relief. I, he says, I, I, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. I don't, my passion is going away. It's melted within my breast. Lord, if I'm being honest with you, I need, I need, I need you close because I'm poured out. Verse 15, he says, my strength is dried up like a pot shard. What a, what a scary metaphor. It's not even a whole pot. It's just a broken piece of pottery that has never held water in, in the last 50 years. And it's just dry. This is what I feel like. It says, my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This is what I feel like, God. And then when I look around, he says in verse 16, he says, for dogs encompass me, uh, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. He says, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. It's interesting that in the middle of David's trauma, in the middle of his story and pain, as he, as he describes this, maybe even accidentally, he starts prophesying about what Jesus is going to go through. People, people count this as a prophecy of Jesus on the cross. They pierce me, my hands and my feet. They, they encircle me. They, 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 tra- they took Jesus' garments and they traded them for lots. And it, it turns out that when Jesus quotes this very psalm while he's on the cross, in, in shorthand, thinking through the whole thing, he is declaring to them, this is what was said about me when David was in his depression, when David was in his darkness. That, that phrase, I can count all my bones, that, that's been lost on me for a long time. I, I don't know if you've ever had a pain where you could count your bones. Have you ever had like a toothache where you knew exactly where that pain was in there? Uh, I had a, a, a medical thing a few years ago, uh, and they prescribed prednisone, which is a steroid. Never taken prednisone before. It is a, a demon medicine. If you have no reaction to it, God bless you. Uh, I love that you were healed from it. Uh, it is. It is. I will never take it again. Um, it, it, it has instructions that weren't terribly clear to me. So to be fair, I was overdosing on it. Uh, <laughs> it you're supposed to take like eight the first day and six the next day, and it, it said that right, but it didn't say take two every two hours. So I would take eight, just and I, I downed it. And, and by day three, I had a lot of the side effects that I later had to read in the pamphlet. One of them is um, uh, psychosis. 
I was, I was really paranoid. I was kind of, I, I didn't know, like, I didn't know why. <laughs> uh, and another one was, uh, it says that it can cause uh, skeletal fractures. And I have no idea how a medicine can cause, the quote in the paperwork said skeletal fractures, except I could feel every vertebrae in my back every time my heart would beat. It's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, I, I could just know it. Like I knew where my ribs were. Everything like from here to here was just like, I don't know. And, and, and then I'm all twitchy, like, like a drug addict or something. Uh, so I just stopped taking. I called the doctor. I'm like, I, I'm having a terrible reaction. I, I don't, I don't, if this is health, <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want this at all. And in David's pain, he's like, I can, I, I can count my own bones. This is before x-rays, right? The only bones he's seen are like people he's killed because he's a warrior. And he's, I can, I can count all my bones. These people, they're staring, they're gloating over me. I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. But then we get these big butts because as he gets here and he remembers the Lord, he says in verse 19, he can remember his problems and he sees them clearly. But every time he returns to the Lord, I don't know if you're noticing the cycle. Every time he returns to the Lord, he gets a clearer view of who the Lord is and what the Lord has done and what the Lord will do. He says in verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Now he's believing that the Lord will come. He says, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And don't, don't miss the importance of that last verse. As he starts asking the Lord for things, he says, save me from the mouth of the lion. That's future tense. That's, that's what I'm asking you to do. But then you have rescued me, past tense, from the horns of the wild oxen. Here's, here's what David has just done. Before David was a king, before he was a warrior, he was just some lowly shepherd boy uh, in the fields raising sheep. The dude killed beasts with his hands to protect his flock. And what he's doing here is that he remembers that the Lord has already previously come through in his life. I remember you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Therefore, I'm going to ask you to do it again. What David is doing is that he's taking his, his remembrance of building a history of following the Lord and using that for fuel for what's going to happen next. I don't know how you're going to get me from this, this dark place. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this depression. I don't know how you get from verse 1 where, are you even listening to me, to where we're going to be in verse 22 where I now know where we're going. The only path, is for him to remember what the Lord has done. Do you have a history of following the Lord and seeing him come through? Can you bind up that testimony? Can you share that with yourself in times of need? Do you, do you have, a, do you have a, a group of people who have followed the Lord in your community group or just your trusted circle that, that in your moments of weakness, you can therefore lean on their strength like David did? Because what happens after verse 21 is that he never returns to the depressive attitude. All of that back and forth between this is how I feel and this is what I know the Lord will do ends right here in this verse when he asks God to do a thing, remembering God has already done a similar thing in his life. The path to rejoicing in a tired and weary world is one to remember what the Lord has already done and to ask him still continue to be that blessing in my community, continue to rescue people from their addiction, continue to reunite people, continue to heal broken and devastated hearts because it is possible for a tired and weary world to rejoice. We have about 10 more verses to go. It says in verse 22, I will tell 
of your name. This is what he's going to do now. He's no longer looking at his problems. He's now declaring what he's going to do. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction or of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Verse 1, he says, he says, where are you at, God? I don't even think you hear me. Verse 24, listen, church, he hears your prayers. He's not hiding from the afflicted. He knows, he knows what you're crying about. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows, I will perform before those who fear him. He's saying, I've made promises to God and I'm going to keep them. I'm going to stick to the things that I've said. He said, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. He's now on the back end of his depression, now talking to people who are on the front end of their depression and say, you will eat and be satisfied. Those of you who feel afflicted in this room, those of you who are in this community, those of you online who feel afflicted, you will be satisfied in the Lord. Verse 27, all of the ends of the earth shall remember. That's us. David wrote this 2,500 years ago, 2,800 years ago. It's a long time ago, okay? Can we just be honest? Before grandma was around, David wrote this. He says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. You and I, who are followers of Jesus, bear the truth of what David is saying. We did turn to the Lord. It didn't end in Babylon or Assyria, as Isaiah was saying it wouldn't. It didn't end when Romans conquered Israel and Israel's like, there's no hope. We need a Messiah to come conquer Romans. Jesus didn't come and conquer Rome. He did something better. He conquered sin. We have hope because all of the problems that they thought were world enders didn't end the world. Whatever feels bigger than you right now and feels like a world ender, whether that's COVID or whatever, it's not. We will remember the Lord and we will turn and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. He's saying nobody, even if you don't bow to him before you go down to the dust, because we know the end of my Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He says even when you go down to the dust, you bow to the Lord, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. That's you and I. We were told of the Lord from someone, and God willing, we will tell of someone else the Lord and what he's done in our lives. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That he he has done it. The the truth is, um, if we're going to take any step forward as a community, we have to be really honest about how deep the trauma has hit us. We have to be honest with the Lord. And you may not be at verse 31 of Psalm 22, but my guess is, is that you're somewhere in Psalm 22. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're like, hey, I'm verse one. I'm a verse oneer right here. I don't even think God's listening anymore. Hey, Jesse, I feel like verse 10, like I'm just sort of remembering some of the things that God did over here. Hey, Jesse, I'm like verse 15. I'm really close, but I'm at the end. The path forward for you finding hope, the path forward for your community finding hope, the path forward for for your your friends and loved ones around us to rejoice in this tired and weary world is to land at verse 21 and to start to build a history of following the Lord. You ask God to do a thing because you remember what God has already done in your life. If I can close with this, I want to just ask you, 
um, we've got to be better at sharing what the Lord has done. You know, we, we, can, we can put up our Christmas decorations and we have the sign that says Jesus is the reason for the season and all the funny little rhymey things. Um, and that's good, don't get me wrong. But there have to be moments where we just sit across the table from someone and be like, I didn't think he could do it. I didn't think we were going to make it. I, did, I didn't even know it was possible, but I trusted in the Lord. And here's, here's what he did. There, there have to be moments where, where we're just, we just look in the mirror and say, God, if, if I can just stop faking for just a moment, I'm tired of faking. I, get no, I, I don't get any relief from faking it. Uh, if, if I can just be honest with you, Lord, I, I don't even know if you're listening to me anymore. And, and it hurts. And I'm, I promise you, God's not, God's not put off by that prayer. So many people prayed that prayer where they just stopped faking it with God. So many people would look at what God has done in the scriptures and look at what God has done in their circles of friends and find strength in that. Guys, everybody in our community has been traumatized, 100%. The world is built that way, that trauma hits and it infects and it's a problem. And, and the only thing that pushes that problem forward is faking it, pretending it's not there. But every now and then someone says, hey, you got a big gash on your head. Are you, are you okay? Let me, let me talk to you about that addiction. Let me talk to you about what the Lord has done. And we show up for each other and we proclaim the goodness of him. And then maybe, just maybe, uh, as we roll through this Christmas holiday, we're no longer faking it. But we really rejoice. We really have joy again because the Lord is rebuilding our heart and reminding us of who he is because he is holy. He is good. And he hears the cries of the afflicted. Let me pray, and then we'll watch the cue together. Father, Father, you, you, you are good, and you've heard our cries, and you, you know our needs. And Father, in this room, the entire spectrum of Psalm 22 exists. We're all over the place, Lord. Uh, there are days we remember your goodness, and there are days that we, we, just, we, can't, we can't even see past our own problems. Lord, help us. Help us to remember who you are. Help us to find strength in your name and how you have just, you've continued to bat a thousand. May we rest on your promises, Lord. Father, I pray for the, the, the hearts in this room, God, that you, would, that you would relieve some pain, that you'd relieve some sorrow. Lord, may, may, we, may we find hope in, in, in the stories of others as we share our testimony of your goodness with one another. Help us to do so and help us to be a beacon of light in this community. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.